0: welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and as always, you can find us on social media at Medium Cool Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. It's facebook.com backslash mediumcoolpod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram and we'll pop up and at Medium cool Pod on Twitter. You can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com and hey, like, subscribe, follow, wherever you listen to this. Keep up with all things Medium Cool. We really appreciate it, and while you're at it, please leave a rating or a review if you can. We really appreciate you and all that you do. All that said, guys, episode one (laughs) hundred. And I am excited as fuck to be here. My name is Austin Glidden, as I said. uh, And if you're new to this, thank you for being here for our 100th episode. If you are a returning customer, uh, thank you for being here again today. I'm going to have people who have called in, who've been on the show before, like Matthew Sosie, Christopher Lloyd, Sam Watermeyer, all telling me uh, what their version of the theme of this episode is. And the theme of this episode is movies we love, our favorites. You know, the ones that make us love movies, because that's the entire point of this podcast is I have a love for film. I have for almost 20 years now, um, you know, come next year to be 20 full years that I have loved cinema, that I've studied it both independently, academically, critically, the whole deal. And it's very exciting to hear why people love movies. Even if I hate the movie they're talking about, it's really nice to hear why people like the things they like. And uh, so I want to celebrate that here with 100 uh, episodes of Medium Cool, a movie podcast. And today I've invited our very first guest, uh, essentially our our in-house guest, Joe Shearer. I've invited him back, and you'll see more of him in the coming weeks. But uh, Joe and I are going to talk a little bit about his favorite film, and then one of mine. And yes, it is on my top 100 favorite films, which I am still working on. I think I have 61 on the list right now, and those are still going to be moving down. Because um, I know there are certain movies, like John Cassavetes' Faces, or uh, Woman of the Influence. Both of those, I almost guarantee, will be on that list, okay? I need to re-watch them. It's been a while since I've seen them, but... Uh, like I almost guarantee. So it's going to push some things down. Some things are going to get kicked off eventually. You know, it's that kind of a thing. Uh, But yeah, uh, so we're we're talking about two movies. Uh, I'm actually going to um, allow those to be surprises. Um, I think the title of this episode is very easily just the 100th episode. Uh, I think that would be fine. But uh, what I did was I asked people to call in Uh, that have been guests before. I just reached out to a few people, and uh, I asked those guests, hey, tell us about one of your favorite films. doesn't have to be your very favorite, and it's a very difficult question. And people actually interpreted this differently. Uh, You know, uh, one of them told me what their favorite film of this year is. Uh, One of them decided to tell me what their favorite film uh, of of the podcast, like that we've covered, is. Um, They cheated and gave me two. Um and uh, yeah then there's others that gave me their favorite film or at least as it stands now and you know there's there's different interpretations of that question so we'll get to hear from some of them i'm excited to get to joe though so we're going to move forward and uh let's hear what some of the former guests have said
1: hey austin this is chris lloyd of the film yap and fox 59 uh, thanks for having me on the show and uh, congratulations on a momentous occasion. Uh, And uh, I thought for this special episode, I would tell you about one of my favorite movies, which is Broadcast News, uh, James L. Burke's wonderful drama, comedy, journalism, movie, who knows really what to call it, from 1987. Uh, Not only is it just a terrific parable about the state of journalism, uh, even back then, uh, with some so many familiar notes of what's going on with it today as well, but uh, three indelible performances by Holly Hunter, Albert Brooks, and uh, William Hurt. Just a film that I can watch and rewatch so many times and take something new out of every single time. I love this movie. I love this podcast. And thanks for having me on. Bye.
2: Hi, Austin Glidden. This is JB. Uh, Thor, the god of thunder, left me a message and said that I should leave a message on your voicemail where I talked about my favorite movie. You know, for decades, I taught film study in high school, and that's a question that comes up quite a bit. It's a question that film study teachers are at quite a bit. What is your favorite movie? And For decades, my standard stock response was Singing in the Rain, because it's wonderfully entertaining and it also suggests that uh, life can be an adventure and that romantic love is possible. Recently, however, I have changed my favorite film, and my favorite film is now Casablanca. Uh, the Warner Brothers film that won the Academy Award for Best Picture that year, one of the few times the Oscars has ever gotten it right. Uh, It's an amazing drama with amazing performances, uh, some of the best dialogue in any movie, a a moral debate, a moral struggle uh, that's worthy of a work of art, and it's um, endlessly rewatchable. So I would say Casablanca.
0: All right, everyone, I have a surprise for you. Back from the dead is Joe Shearer. <laughs> hey,
3: I'm back. Yeah. Uh, uh, Finally. No, I'm not dead. I was not, I mean, I'm not dead anymore. You're but, dead
0: to me. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Well, I was cheating on, um, you on another podcast a couple of times, but um, shout out to yeah. Matt Hurt and the Obsessive Viewer. Um, he, uh, you know, he has a fun podcast too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. E- email me and you can uh, hit me up with that Venmo now that I've plugged your your <laughs> podcast no i'm just kidding um have me on too that'd be fun anyways so the, <laughs> so i could throw it in joe's face it's I'll, really I'll the him. only I'll reason um no so uh today is our 100th episode i i mean i had to have joe back of course and um joe's gonna stick with us this month hopefully so we can talk about some horror movies yeah we'll see how that goes and uh, but today, as I've said already on this episode, is dedicated to movies that we love because I can't think of anything better uh, than talking about such things. You know, this whole entire podcast, uh, Joe, I don't know if you've picked up on this or if I've ever explicitly said this to you. But the big thing for me with this podcast is not to tell people what to watch and not to tell people that what they like sucks, uh, though I don't have a problem doing so. But the issue right. is, um, I want to know why people love the movies they love. So you can say any movie that you like, and I just, I just love learning about why people like them. I mean, for goodness' sakes, I have my dad on here, and I wanted to know why, which was actually like a super, like enlightening episode. I actually really loved that one. Yeah. But still, like you know, having random people on here sometimes, random musicians that have no. Uh, No business being on like a movie podcast per se, but it's like I just love hearing why they love the Goonies or whatever movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so uh, I thought, why not do this with us? We did this a little bit all the way back 100 episodes ago um, and 99 episodes ago and 98 (laughs) since it took (laughs) us so long to get through uh, our backstories and what happened. But uh, we've come a long way. And uh, we're going to be introducing a new formatting in the future and all of this. So I thought this would just be a fun episode to talk about things we loved. And, Joe, you picked Jaws yes. from 1975. Steven Spielberg directed, written by uh, Peter Benchley and Carl. Uh, what is that? Gottlieb? Gottlieb, yeah. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, I had heard it before, but it just didn't sound right in my head. Yeah. Uh, but the cast is uh, Roy Scheider, who's so great. Robert Shaw, Richard Dreyfuss, Lorraine Gray, or Gary. Sorry, whoa, 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 Lorraine Gary and uh, Murray Hamilton. It was released June twentieth, nineteen seventy five. It was took. It had a budget of nine million, and the box office, mind you, everyone, this is kind of considered the first blockbuster, and you'll hear it whenever you hear four hundred and seventy six point four million dollars from a nine million dollar budget movie. Uh, this is like Paranormal Activity money
3: yeah you know what i'm saying where's uh-huh. like
0: seven hundred thousand to make or something and it made like bajillions of dollars yeah yeah um you can rent this like anywhere you rent shit um but i think uh i mean amazon prime or something like wherever you want this is yeah. obviously available and if you haven't seen it screw you because we're going to do right. spoilers today because we like come on yeah. generally so, you just turn the tv on and you'll you can watch it you know yeah yeah it's just the greatest and if even if something's spoiled it's still the greatest so it doesn't matter yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, Jaws is about an insatiable great white shark that terrorizes the townspeople of Amity Island. The police chief, an oceanographer, and a grizzled shark hunter seek to destroy the bloodthirsty beast once and for all. Or is this all it's about, Joe? We'll see. Uh, you chose this movie. The, yeah. It was a very quick choice for you. I knew this was your favorite movie, but I had texted you and you're like, oh, this is easy. Jaws. Like, it was like really quick. What is it about this that you love? Help us yeah. understand
3: that. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of things. You know, it's it has a little bit of everything. Um, it, you know, of course, the shark is the star as far as far as like in the minds of the world, right? It's like, oh yeah, Jaws, that movie about the shark. And you don't even have to say that. You, you know, it's just like everyone knows, um, whether you've seen it or not, everybody, and this is another movie that everyone has seen, even those who haven't. You know, they they maybe saw part of a sequel or something, and then there's like, oh yeah, I've seen Jaws that movie's terrible, and it's like everybody likes that movie, you know. But, um, but yeah, but it was the first blockbuster. It's got a great backstory, um, the you know, so there's a it's an interesting movie you can talk about. But but then when you watch the movie, you just sit down and watch the movie. You you see that it's about a whole lot more than than just you know a couple of guys fighting a monster. You know, there's there's you know there's some great subplots you know that and, and even subplots from the book that didn't make it in that were that are interesting to talk about but but the movie that that Steven Spielberg made is it feels big you know it feels big and it does so much you know it, it has it has good emotion and it has of course very uncomfortable frights and scares and um, it, it, it's just that for like you said it's kind of the first modern summer blockbuster movie and it kind of is almost now the blueprint even today to what how movies are made. So um, it, it's it's sort of the original in that way. It's still very watchable if you can look past a couple of of hairstyles and funny glasses and
0: Dude, no it's so perfect. <laughs> shut
3: up. <laughs> it, it's but it's perfect. yeah, yeah it, it is it's just a perfect movie
4: to me.
0: Yeah. I mean I'm not going to I'm not going to fight this at all. Uh Jaws is uh one of my favorite films of all time. I've been talking a lot recently about working on my top 100 favorite films of all time. That is uh, I mean spoiler alert here, that is definitely going to be on there. Every it, it, it's funny you bring up the thing about uh wanting like some people being like, "Oh, that's the movie everyone likes." Mm-hmm. And they kind of like almost don't want to like it. You yeah. know what I mean? Cause it's like, Oh, it's that famous weird seventies movie. You know, it doesn't have the same reputation as something like Godfather or taxi drive. Like people go into that and that's almost for some reason, a cool thing to like, yeah. but for some people jaws isn't. Right. And I'm not saying this is a big community of people, but I have heard people kind of have that talk or like, I've never been interested in watching. It's just some seventies outdated monster movie. Yeah. Dude, this is just so far from the truth. This is uh. A, an easy five-star movie for me, and every time I watch it, I always feel like I might end up in that camp not exactly, but just kind of a bit more, a bit less into it. Where I'm just kind of like, is this really as good as I remember it being? Yeah. And then I watch it, and I'm like, fuck yeah, it is! <laughs> yes. It's so good. Yeah. And current, currently, and this is obviously going to change. And on the podcast, I will go through my top 100 once I get it formed. But it is currently number 17,
5: nice.
0: uh, which out of all movies I've seen, yeah. That's fucking great, dude. Right. Yeah. Um and and uh and I I really really love jaws. And and it's it, and I I'll, I'll go into this another time probably doing a more deep dive with like the new format and everything on jaws cuz there's way too much like you said and we can get into some of it, but it's way too there's way too much to talk about. Like there's yeah. a lot of really really cool stuff with the production and mm-hmm. all of this, but I love all the little things. You know, people think this is about uh, the shark primarily. Uh, I love always saying if they ever remade this movie today, it would be about the shark. Yeah, You know what I mean? Like oh, they would yeah. try to make it about other stuff, but like the shark would just be the one they'd probably make some cheap joke about it being named Bruce or something. You know, it'd just be stupid yeah. and it'd be CG and it'd be stupid. Yeah. So anyways, like listen to John Williams score. And it's like one of the most simple score. I mean, there's a lot going on, but on the surface, it seems like a very simple score. Yeah. But I'll be damned if every time you hear bum bum mm-hmm. bum bum like not only does that not transport you somewhere but right. it also inspires like this anxiety
6: yeah of oh, yeah.
0: like holy shit the shark's coming especially when you yeah. see kids in the water everyone's frivolously just like having fun and you hear that music and you're like, oh, it's the juxtaposition of yes. what the meaning that we've attached to this music is uh-huh. and what is happening on screen. You know, I also love things like, the, you know, the real the real winners here, I think, are Roy Scheider, Robert Sean, Richard Dreyfus. Yeah, I think I mean, not not to take anything away from uh, uh, who's Roy Scheider's wife, um, Lorraine Gary, Yeah, Lorraine Gary. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I spaced that for a second. Um, but th- those two have a great rapport. Okay, yes. a great rapport, uh, but the three—it's really interesting. Um, you know, just little things that again I'll elaborate on maybe in another video or uh, episode. But uh, you know, the three of them on the sh- on the ship whenever they're going to find the shark, yeah, when they don't actually open up to each other and become almost anything more to the three of them as almost stereotypes until going into the third act that night where they're getting drunk, <laughs> yeah, and. Uh, Hold on, I just need to open up the Jaws IMDb page because I'm really going <laughs> to. Yeah. So Robert Shaw plays Quint, and um, when Quint finally opens up and tells the what is the USS Indianapolis story or whatever, yes. yeah, like that is the look on on Richard Dreyfuss's, on Hooper's face, yes. Richard Dreyfus's character, um, the yeah. way Brody reacts to it, mm-hmm. that is like a bonding moment. And most people would do that like halfway through the movie or in the first half of the second act to yes. build a rapport, but mm-hmm. they wait until like. The moment where we're supposed to get a peak, right? And instead, right. it's like it's like the it's the calm before the storm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is yeah. so perfect. But another thing that I learned uh, thinking about this is in the movie also uh, there are different objects, and I'd have to go through again when I talk about this at length. I'll break into this more in depth. But um, it also it's almost like you know the three brains make one kind of a thing. Quint is the uh, extremist who wants to do He's like a purist. He's the one that wants to do it old school. I'm going to get this shark with my with my rod and and, you know, these buoys and we're going old school. We're getting this thing. It's not a big deal. Uh, Look at all your gadgets. They're so stupid. Get those air tanks out of here. You know, all that stuff. And then you have Hooper, who's the opposite. He's the scientist, basically. Right. He's the one bringing in all this and calling his puritist bullshit. You know, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's and, working and man's hero crap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I forget if it's uh, Brody or Hooper who bring the gun on the ship. Yeah. Uh, but, like, I'm pretty sure Quint's like, you think that's going to do anything? You know what yeah. I mean? Uh-huh. I think it's Brody maybe that brings the gun on. Yeah. And then, uh, of course, Brody is the guy that, like, he's trying to think his way through it, but he's out of his league here. He's scared of the water. Yeah. Uh. You know, he like this is not so he's a very smart intellectual person. Mm-hmm. He can work his way through it, but he is out of his element. Okay. Yes. And, and so at the end. Who kills Bruce? Mm-hmm. Bruce being the shark, everyone. Right. And how it's Brody, who's the only living. Well, to our knowledge, the only living person. Yeah. Hooper. He uses Hooper's air canister. Yeah. Uh huh. And he uses the gun. Yeah. Uh huh. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yep. I didn't yeah. quite tell that the way I wanted to, but the point is uh, no, no, I'll, I'll have I, yeah, better information insane. when I go into it. The point is they all three brought something to the solution yes. of the shark, and I love that bit of analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've read that elsewhere as well. It's not like I came up with that on my own, but it is mm-hmm. something that I kind of picked up on and reading more about it, and I have notes for it somewhere, but reading more about it, uh, that was just really cool. you know. And yeah. my whole point in bringing all this up is just like, there is a lot more depth to this, and people tend to just kind of brush it off as the first blockbuster, and that's why it's big. But it's like, no, this is a fucking great movie, and yeah. this is definitely, if not the best, in, like, the top three of Spielberg's greatest. Oh, yes. You know what I mean? And for you, of course, number one. Yeah. Uh, but, like, so tell me tell me about, like, like, when do you remember seeing this the first time? Yeah. And what was that experience like, if you can kind of transport your mind back to that point?
3: Yeah. Yeah. You know, that, and the, the answer to that question is I really don't remember. I, I don't really remember a time in my life that this movie wasn't a part of it. I, I have this vague memory. I think I probably saw it on broadcast network TV and I, I have this memory of watching it as like a, like a primetime special. And they had this logo where, you know, it was just the jaws logo and it just basically like zoomed in and got bigger. You know, like, it's one of those old, like, early 80s effects, and um, I just remember that terrifying shit out of me, and um, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, but I don't remember, I mean, that may have been Jaws too, for all I remember, but I I just remember, it's some, it just seems like a movie that it's, it's a movie I have always seen. I've always um, already seen that movie, even though I don't remember watching it for the first time. Um, but it's, yeah, so yeah, it, it's it's just sort of like the definition of iconic in my head just because I don't even, like I said, I don't even necessarily remember the first time I saw it. I just, it just oh, it seems like I've always seen it. So, um, and then, you know, every time it's on, it's just this comfortable shoe to put on, you know, and I just, you know, I, yeah. I turn it on and, and here it is. And it's like every uncomfortable thing that happens, even the, the terror and anxiety of it is is comfortable in a way. So it's, uh, it, it's just, it's this weird everything and you know and it's it's equal parts very unsettling and just you know very comfortable and casual and normal so you know there's all those moments on the on the island on you know when they're not in the water with the shark and they're just talking about whatever and The uh, you know all of that is is just very comfortable and casual and then you put them put something out on the water and suddenly you're just terrified and and you know full of as you said anxiety anxiety is such a good word for it
0: yeah yeah it's because it, it's let's it feels less scary. Yeah. And yeah. it's more anxiety inducing. Yeah. And, and I, st- dude, when I first rewatched this, it was probably 2011 or 2012. Mm-hmm. I had obviously seen it as a kid and yeah. different things, much like you. I think this came out, what, a couple of years before you were born, something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean, it yeah it both of us, was this was before our lifetime. Mm-hmm. And it was something that we just grew up knowing existed. Yes. As a kid, I remember running around, bum, bum. like i would do like the music like in a ridiculous way and i'd never even seen the movie at that point but it was kind (laughs) of like this ubiquitous thing yeah and um yeah so it's 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 interesting uh the opening sequence for example Mm -hmm. i remember watching it and thinking how like intense that actually is yeah not that it's uh like some groundbreaking thing but it's the classic like don't let the audience have their imagination with this. Yeah. What? How? How is this shark tugging on this woman's leg to to kind of pull her under? Yeah, because she doesn't just go under; she comes back up. Does yeah. it? Yeah, Like grab her leg? Is it just the mass of the shark passing that yeah. like pulls her down? Like you know what I mean? Right. That's where my mind goes, where I start overthinking and like, fuck, what is happening? Because yeah. she's terrified too. So um man, that's so good. And then but it was when the boy eats yes. I almost said eats it, but actually gets eaten. Gets um eaten. Yeah. and there's so much blood in the water. Yeah. And everyone starts freaking out. You get the classic Hitchcock vertigo move where he, yeah. you know, uh does the push in mm-hmm. pull focus, or not focus, but uh yeah. whatever. The, the big vertigo move. I don't know why I can't yeah. remember what it's called they, right now.
3: They they call it the jaws shot now. That's that's kind of the slang term for it in a lot of places they go oh the jaws shot you know and it's like
0: yeah appropriation anyways yeah (laughs) well i mean you know
3: your your point's (laughs) taken i defer to you know defer to the master always but
0: (laughs) no i'm kidding uh but no i mean but it is a really like famous famous moment Mm -hmm. um and but dude that one that's when i was like fuck dude this movie's no joke yeah. Like, it's legit going there. Right. Yeah. And, and and I feel the same way about Close Encounters and a lot of his really early work where it was like, damn, he, like, really went for it. Yep. Whereas I feel like, to be honest, a lot of his newer movies and stuff that's happened in the last 20, 30 years mm-hmm. has kind of pulled some punches. Yeah. Uh, you know, I just actually rewatched Saving Private Ryan. That's still brutal as fuck. Like, oh, yeah. I'm not oh, saying yeah. all of them. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some that just kind of feel a little... Mm-hmm. It's it's worn on him, yeah, yeah, yeah. yep. Yeah, yeah. well, you know, uh, war of the man. Worlds,
3: for example, you know, it's just, you know, yeah. terrible, in, in hedging in every way. But then he'll do, like you said, Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List, and you know, where it's just like all out, you know, and you're just like, damn. But um, yeah, but no, but yeah, yeah, yeah your point is made, especially more recently.
0: Yeah. So basically, uh, you know, with Jaws, uh, the I mean, let's not sleep on. Uh, the cinematography and stuff. I mean, this oh, stuff's man. great. I mean, we talked about it uh, with that. I'm going to call it the vertigo shot. We can call it the jaw <laughs> shot as well. People now know what it is. Yeah. Uh, but Bill Butler did the cinematography here, uh, which is uh, really great. Uh, he yeah. also was cinematographer on things like Grease. He was a part of the crew on things like One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Deliverance. Mm-hmm. I mean, this guy got around in the best way. And, uh, you know, he deserves some props here because this movie looks incredible, especially yeah. with uh, little things like, uh, like I said, that opening sequence, that really mm-hmm. uh, low light, night skinny dipping. Yes. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and just the way that that works, because I, I don't think they were very often all that far from the shore. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a whole story for maybe about that. a yeah Yeah. exactly exactly yeah yeah. and and there's more i can get into at some point unless you know it offhand but i don't have it written down but you know there's there's not a whole lot they did super far but man they make it seem like they are dude yeah yeah and they do such a good job
3: i i do know that story to an extent they they were i don't know like 10 or 15 feet off of the shore i think and they had like ropes basically the girl was tied to a bunch of ropes under the water and they just ran on the beach back and forth and dragged her around and it was it was supposed to be pretty painful, <laughs> so no, I'm I remember like,
0: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that had I mean, dude, yeah, I think they hurt her. Remember? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I think they yeah, actually, it was, like yeah, really it was hurt her. rough. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and then of course you have the unforgettable, iconic John Williams score, which John Williams was everywhere at this time with yeah. Star Wars, and of course this. I mean, he did so many. I mean, I think he yeah. did Superman. He right did a at bunch of time, exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, all of this was in that same time period, that era. Um, I mean, man. I mean, how do you get a better cast? How do you get a better crew? And and somehow Spielberg did this as his first real major feature. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did this on a sh- what I'll call, in comparison to what he made, yeah, uh, a very minor budget, nine yeah, million yeah. dollars for this. I mean, a lot of movies were made for less than nine million dollars, but that right. look this good and that feel this big, yeah. Um, yeah. man, I'm not sure. And let's not sleep on Murray Hamilton who oh, is man. the yeah. great <laughs> mayor yes. um, and what the movie says about essentially human life versus capitalism essentially. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> about you know uh, the mayor wanting to keep um, uh-huh. uh, Amity island open because it's tourist <laughs> yeah. season basically and mm-hmm. um, waiting until someone gets eaten to finally you know come to a senses. Uh, uh-huh. There's so much great. I mean, like I said, Robert Shaw as Quint—that first iconic moment with the nails on the chalkboard. Yep. Um, and and his just hilarious, but also really awesome delivery of his monologue. Yeah. About you know getting the shark. I, but I, I always go back to Roy Scheider. I'm a huge Roy Scheider fan. I think yeah. Roy Scheider is so so good. Uh, whether it's all that jazz or. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything along those lines? For some reason, I'm just spacing literally every <laughs> right. other Scheider movie. French <laughs> Connection is so great as like the, the partner. Yeah, um, you know he's in everything. We'll go with Blue yeah. Thunder too if you want. I mean, who yeah, cares? Blue great. So <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the movies I actually need to see uh, is uh, 2010. The year we make contact, which is the Mm -hmm. sequel to 2001, I've never seen. Yeah, Uh, that's something I will make. uh, I will make better eventually. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, this is great. Uh, Before we jump over to my my choice, though, give me some of your last thoughts. I mean, what are uh, anything else that's notable that makes you just really love this movie? Because what is it about it that makes you go, "This is my favorite"?
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the the thing is, is that it it crosses over all of those boundaries. You know, I, I you know, I as as someone, you know, as a, as a movie goer, as a movie consumer, however you want to, whatever you want to call us, you know, I, I've been in, I've operated kind of in the middle of that space, that intersection between like, what's popular commercially, and, you know, amongst the general, you know, the general public, and what are the things that movie nerds really love you know what do film school nerds love and and i remember very distinctly sitting in in the film class one of the film classes i took and they break down that scene where the where the boy is is eaten by by the shark and the editing in that scene is so good
0: and oh the editing yeah we have to i just want to say props to the editors which before we're done with this i'm going to look up and call them out by name because the editing is great and for some reason there's just like a siren emergency going on outside oh, my house. I can't my even my apology, but continue, continue. Yeah, yeah.
3: So yeah. So you you just watch that scene and you just see the way that tension was built. You know, and it starts with with this old man who comes up to to Brody and is distracting him. You know, Brody wants to wants to watch the beaches like a hawk, and this old man in a in a you know a, a swimming cap walks up to him and he's like. Drying his armpits with his towel and having to talk about nothing, and you know, just small talk, and, and he's trying to look around and just all this little bit of these little bits of tension building up until, like you said, it builds up to you know, a little boy being eaten, yeah. blood spraying, and it's just chaos and terrible. And um so you know, so there's those moments, and then there's but the you know, the the scenes, the, the things that I love the most, the, you know, I always tell people my favorite scene in that movie is when he comes home, Brody comes home. Um, after at one point I don't don't remember if it's that one I don't think it's that scene it's a different one after the girl was eaten and his son one of his his youngest son is sitting at the table with him and he just basically sits there and makes faces with him and you know and it just turns into this like hey I just need this time with my kid because you know the world is beating me down and that's such a great moment and and you know you mentioned Murray Hamilton and in his line there where you know when when the, the someone has vandalized the billboard and he's, you know, and and Hooper is standing there is like, look at the dimensions of this giant fin that they have painted. It's like those are the right dimensions, and yeah. and Murray Hamilton, the the mayor, shoots back with, "Bet you'd like to prove that too. Get your name in the National Geographic, you know." And it's like it's like <laughs> just the, yeah, the most yeah. old man answer to being checkmated ever. You know, it, it's just like just all that stuff. And like you said, the that whole the 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 trio at the end, just the way that they bonded and in, in, you know, over the course of a couple of days, several minutes of screen time, all of that mixed in with, you know, a giant fucking shark that's killing people.
0: <laughs> you giant know, it's fucking like the shark. Problem, great. Yep. And Verna Fields was the film editor, by the yeah, way. Yeah, Verna Fields. Absolute yeah. props, because yeah. it is. I mean, the editing actually go back and watch this, everybody. And I want you to be cognizant of when you see the shots change because it's done so well, you don't notice it a lot of times unless it wants to be noticed. Uh, But notice how it's cutting, what it's cutting to, uh, the perfect timing of how this film is cut. I mean, of course, the director gives a lot of notes to the editor. Often what happens then is the editor does the edits and then the uh, director, the producer, studio, whoever's in charge of final edit will go in and they'll watch a cut and then they'll give changes basically yeah. and you'll, you will know back then they might have done a whole reel i don't know what they're i don't know if they just did scenes back then I, I don't know how that worked um by using film but uh this is that is don't sleep on that the other thing too just to make your point though is uh it's also important to bring up that brody and his family are new here and they yes. make that very uh it's like a very upfront thing yeah to the yeah. point of one time brody says honey take the kids home and they go back to New York, and he's like, "No, home here." Yeah, and it's like this moment where, like, he accepts, "No, no, no, this is my responsibility. This is my home." It's little things like that where he complains about it all the time, and then there's that moment he calls it home. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's just like, "Fuck, man!" Like those little moments, right, are what make this so good. Yeah, Talk about and- little moments making it.
3: Yeah, and and it's and it's not only just the fact that they're new there, but he also doesn't like to be on the water. And, you know, we see that early where he's like riding the ferry and he's a little uncomfortable. And, you know, there's just these little bits here and there where, you know, he he doesn't want to go in the water at one point, you know, and it, it's just like it, it even even toward the end when when uh, Hooper is telling him to get to go to the front of the boat so that he can take a picture of the shark and get a scale of how big it is. And he's like, I don't want no You know, it, yeah. he just you know, he all of that there that that really underscores that, you know, like you said, that fish out of water so to speak that that he is at, at the end of the movie
0: yeah yeah it's it is a remarkable film uh the part of this episode is just to remind you guys that these movies exist because they're so great and if you've never yeah. seen it what are you waiting for yeah. if you have i encourage you strongly to go re-watch it however you need to because not only does this have great restorations um uh, I mean, like really great restorations. Oh yeah! But um, yeah, it is just a a top of the line, great work, uh, great pick, Joe. We're gonna come back in just a second, talk about mine, and I'll introduce it when we get there.
2: Hey, Austin, it's Jeff Roda. What's up, man? Congrats on a uh, hundred episodes of your podcast. It was so great to be on it. So. Uh, and I'm still glad you're doing it and, and uh, you're going strong with it. So, um, what, I mean, asking what a favorite movie is is impossible, but the one that came to mind because I saw it recently again is The Vanishing. You've seen The Vanishing, right? It's absolutely terrifying. It's this French-Dutch film uh, that George Sluzier directed, and it's terrifying, and it stays with you For days and days and days. Um, And then he made a shitty American remake of it, but that doesn't count. But The Vanishing, you should see it. All right, man. Congrats again. Bye.
0: All right, as I said, episode 100, we're doing uh, talking about some of our favorites. And Joe's was Jaws, the Steven Spielberg film from 1975. First, Uh, blockbuster ever mine is rear window this is not my favorite film of all time but I've talked a lot not only recently but uh, in general about a lot of the ones above it this is uh, in my top 10 for sure (coughs) maybe even top five actually I can look that up where it stands now it is number six on um, my favorite of all time, currently we'll see yeah. if that's where it stays. I, I move stuff around a lot, so this is not probably where <laughs> half this stuff's gonna be. But I'm just I'm really working on it right now. Okay, um, but Rear Window from 1954, which what a fucking great year. Uh, I plan to pretty soon talk about another film from 1954 doing a solo show sometime. Mm -hmm. Uh, But Rear Window, 1954, directed by the great master of suspense. uh, I almost said Alfredo. Alfred Hitchcock, (laughs) written by Alfredo Hitchcock. Um, Alfred Hitchcock, written by John Michael Hayes and Cornell Woolrich. Uh, Cast is Jimmy Stewart, uh, Grace Kelly, Wendell Corey, and Thelma Ritter. Uh, release date was September 1st, 1954, with a budget of $1 million. Made $37 million, which for 1954, it's a pretty damn good box office. Yeah. You can watch this on Peacock Premium. And uh, it's about professional photographer L.B. Jeffries, who breaks his leg while getting an action shot at an auto race. Unfortunately, that action shot involved a wrecked car that uh, we assume Part of it might have hit him. Um, But anyways, he has a broken leg confined to his New York apartment. He spends his time looking out the rear window, observing the neighbors, uh, which is in this kind of courtyard and like completely surrounding the courtyard are four different uh, kind of walls of apartments. And like a uh, Wes Anderson movie, you have almost a dollhouse view of each of these apartments via the perspective of Jimmy Stewart's Jeff. And uh, when we begin uh, to suspect a man across the courtyard may have murdered his wife, Jeff enlists the help of his high society fashion consultant girlfriend and his visiting nurse to investigate. Uh, Basically, uh, you have this awesome dollhouse situation uh, that Hitchcock completely recreated and made himself uh, on some studio lot somewhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, it is perfect. Uh, he you know, you have this uh, half naked woman who dances all the time. You have this sad <laughs> pianist who seems to have writer's block. He can't quite get this piece out. Uh, you have uh, Miss Lonely Heart, as they call her, who uh, wants love but can't seem to find. And even whenever she does find a man, uh, he tries to basically just seduce her once they get back to her apartment, mm-hmm. uh, at which time she is uh, she pushes him away. Uh, you have a newly married couple, which the whole gimmick of that is that they fuck all the time, and sometimes <laughs> the guy will open a, a window shade and smoke a cigarette, and then you'll hear Harry, and then like he closes it, looking exasperated, because you know they're banging newlyweds. That's pretty much the joke. And yeah. what's funny is it always cuts back to Jimmy Stewart, and he's like, "Yeah," <laughs> you know, like like he's always like, "Huh, cute kids," you know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah, it's so yeah. weird. Um, but uh yeah, so he he is a traveler. And now, uh proverbially speaking, he's landlocked, you know, because he has a broken a broken uh leg and he basically has to stay in his apartment. Yeah. He's been there for six weeks and it's hot, and he has nothing better to do other than to look out his window and see all of the drama. Uh Thoma Ritter plays his Masseuse, who was sent by I don't remember if it's his insurance company or the magazine journal he works for whatever and um, she's there to try to help uh, not necessarily with PT per se uh, but just kind of keep him comfortable keep him healthy Uh, you know she sometimes makes him lunch or whatever and she'll you know she'll do these different things for him and of course it's Thelma Ritter she's really great at scolding people so she (laughs) scolds him over and over you can't sleep in the chair you gotta sleep in the bed and uh, eventually it starts with uh, binoculars where he wants to he finds a strange thing with the salesman across the way, pretty suspicious. So he gets his binoculars out, which eventually turns into uh, his beloved girlfriend, Grace Kelly, mm-hmm. uh, who comes in. I'm trying to remember her name. I have it pulled up here. Uh, um, yeah, her uh, no, Stella, Lisa. Stella, Ritter. Uh, Le- Lisa is yeah. Grace Kelly. And uh, or did you say Lisa? I thought you said yeah. Stella. Anyway, yeah,
3: no, Lisa is her name. Yeah.
0: So Lisa uh, comes in and gives him his camera, which he puts this huge telephoto lens on. Yes. And as a camera geek, like it's pretty awesome. But anyways, <laughs> what's awesome is is with the edits and everything, you get those three spaces of of uh, focus where it's from the window halfway and then the full kind of the closest we get to close ups Yeah, with the telephoto lens. My very favorite thing, though, Joe, about this, and I'm going to pass this on to you. Uh, with a kind of half-assed question, but more just your thoughts. Yeah. But my favorite thing about this movie is how Hitchcock tells the story. But it's more that he shows don't yes. tell, right? Like that classic thing, show don't tell. Yes. The opening sequence is probably the perfect exemplar of this. Film opens, no words, there's some music. It cuts to, uh, you know, it's showing out the window, shows a bed, cuts over, shows a broken leg with a cast. I forget what's written on it. Pans up to Jimmy Stewart, cuts over to a, uh, like you see the cast and everything, cuts over to, I think, like a camera or something. So you can tell he's a photographer. Cuts up to a race car that is crashing in the middle of the shot. Mm-hmm. So you get, oh, okay, he was in this accident somehow. That's how he ended up there. I mean, in that you also learn the dancing woman, the pianist, Miss Lonely Hearts, the say like you learn all about everyone in the courtyard. It's fucking mastery. Yeah. And I watch it and I can't be bored. Like, because <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it it's just like when I've talked a lot about Brian De Palma movies recently, this is the kind of shit he steals from Hitchcock. I yes. don't like these steals. It's like an homage and he, and he does his own thing with them, but it's just perfect. And my, my segue through all of that to you is, you know, wh- what do you remember about this movie that really kind of got you? You yeah. know, are, are is there anything about it that really connects with you?
3: Yeah. Yeah. It's it. Well, it's, it is that, and it's, you know, like you said, that, that show don't tell thing. And, you know, it, you know, you think about it and you list it off all those people that he's watching and they're, you know, they're, they're, all, they're these characters on their own that, uh, and, uh, you know, I don't even know that most of them even have speaking parts at all. And they're, you know, they're literally just people who exist in a window across an alley and it's, you know, but but you kind of just very quickly start to care about them, at least the way that Jeff cares about them, you know, that, that they're these people that he watches And, you know, he gets he it's it's kind of it's blurring that line between, you know, when you live in a big city and there's millions of people there and, you know, they're all faceless people that you don't know. But then you see one of them in a vulnerable position and it, you know, then suddenly you can kind of remember, you know, well, these are real people. You know, this this is a real person that something bad is happening to. This is not somebody that we're watching on TV. So there's that there's sort of that voyeurism aspect of that move of this movie that that really works there. Uh, And again, like you said, just the way that Hitchcock builds that tension. And, uh, you know, I I was actually watching uh, the sequence where, uh, where Lisa goes into the apartment, you know, she gets on the fire escape and breaks into one of the apartments and he's watching her. And it's, it's pretty, it's even lighthearted and comical at at this point, you know, and the music is very upbeat and it's, you know, and it's all like very non-serious, but then well, suddenly, because
0: well, real quick before you go into what suddenly happens, sure. it's because it feels like um like almost uh like some mystery novel. Like they're playing characters, they're yes. detectives, right? And it has this almost like like kid like like, oh, we're gonna go get him, we can do this ourselves. And then well, shit gets real. Continue.
3: Yeah, yeah. And and yeah, and and so yeah, so she's kind of tooling around for a while and and then and then the man comes home. And then suddenly now it's very serious, you know, and it's, yeah. you know, and, and now it's like, you know, he's, he's like, well, I'm going to call the police. And, you know, and Stella's talking to him and is like, should we do that? Like she's going to go to jail. It's like, well, she won't be dead. You know? <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. like, you know, it's, it's sort of just this, this thing that gets real very fast, but yeah. Yeah. So, the, I mean, that's, that's a lot of what really appeals to me in, in this movie is that it's, you know, it's like you said, it's almost like that, that, film class that Hitchcock puts out in just in making a movie, you know, it's just yeah those long shots with with a lot of stuff. There's no music. There's no, t- it's just silence for a while and you're just yeah. watching things unfold and it, and it's unsettling and it's fascinating at the same time.
0: Yeah. And what I love about the, what you, what you called silence. And I know what you meant by that, but I'm going to elaborate on that. Yeah. You watch like through the window,
5: mm-hmm.
0: but you still hear the sound of the courtyard. So if the pianist is playing, He's still playing. If there's a party going on in a right. different way, you still hear that. But uh-huh. you see the perspective of uh, of Jeff uh, seeing these things. And the reason I make that distinction is it's also great because you can see that the world around everything that's happening is completely going on and unknowing. Yes. Right. They don't know what's going on. And but Jeff has the scoop. Everyone else sees this as normal behavior. Nothing's happening. Mm -hmm. You know, nothing's going on. Jeff's the only one. I think that's like a a really great moment. And also, this film is really grisly. Like, it doesn't show anything, Mm -hmm. right? In terms of that, it's a lot of imagination. Okay. Like we just talked about with Jaws. Um, But. You know, once you put together what the salesman uh will say allegedly done until you <laughs> you know, until you kind of see until it like plays out more and you get an answer to that. Um yeah, the the whole gimmick is that uh Jeff and his uh and who was it, Stella and Lisa, um they are convinced that he killed his his wife, who was sick and bedridden, and uh you saw her kind of nag him sometimes and he would get mad and Then out of nowhere, she's just gone and he has these weird things like a saw and like a giant fucking knife and (laughs) uh, like this big um, chest uh, that he's shipping off that has all this rope tied around it so it will refuse to open like it cannot go. Um, It's very secure and and the bed is turned up and and he's you know, he has all of his wife's jewelry in a handbag. And he's putting all of his clothes out, like he's gonna be going somewhere. And um, but then at the same time, you know, whenever Jeff lets his cop, one of his old cop buddies, he was at in at uh, in, I'm assuming World War II with, um, you know, the cop buddy is just like, yeah. He also received a, um, what do you call it, like a postcard, uh, and it was essentially signed by his wife. <laughs> and there are all these little like curves where it's like the whole time you're like. Did he really kill her or is this just them trying like, you know, uh, we have to remember this, everybody. Another thing, if you haven't seen it, screw you, go watch it. But so I'm talking to those who have. But remember this, Jeff is stuck in his apartment for six weeks. Uh, Lisa, and I'll talk about this next. Lisa is in a relationship with Jeff, but Jeff has already tried to get out of it in the movie. Okay, so he says that she can't hack his kind of life, basically. So Lisa has this kind of motive to want to be a part of this whole, uh, you know, detective story because she wants to prove she can hack it. And then uh, Thelma Ritter is one of those kind of I don't want to call her a conspiracy theorist. She's not. But she talks with him about different things Um, and you can tell she's a little. Um, you know, she's a real down to earth person, but also has these weird uh, what's the word? Like, um, I don't know, like, don't walk under a ladder, superstition, yeah, superstition. You know, yeah. there, there's there's she's just a very kind of classic 50s mm-hmm. woman. I don't know, there's just like you, you get you as soon as you see her, you get that character, right? She's yes. so great, and uh, so no wonder. She, I mean, she's one of the first people that's like, huh, that's a big chest. How do you think he hacked her up to get rid? You know, like she's almost yes. one of the first people that's like bringing up these weird uh, uh, alleged things, right? And so, of course, you get these three doing this. But yeah. no one else buys into this or even thinks anything of it because there's nothing suspicious. So us as as viewers, of course, we follow our three protagonists kind of, you know, uh, going through this detective story. But then we get these little shifts where it's like, fuck, is this really happening though? Because, yeah. like, someone comes in and throws a wrench in their plan, but then they come up with a more uh, advanced plan that accounts for that. But then the next thing, you know, uh, happens. And mm-hmm. There's a postcard, you know, such and such was in the chest, so it couldn't have been what they thought. And it, it's just so fucking perfect for a movie yeah. that is, what, uh, an hour and 52 minutes? This Mm -hmm. is a PG movie because nothing crazy happens on screen, per se. Mm -hmm. But you have, like, uh, this movie that is about, essentially, again, uh, uh, allegedly until you find out in the end, uh, it's a really fucking grisly movie. Yeah. Where these people think this dude murdered and hacked (laughs) up his wife into pieces Mm -hmm. and got rid of them. Like, that's really fucked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
3: Yeah, well, and, and there's that, you know looking at it from a larger, you know, a, a broader perspective, that's one of the things Hitchcock does has always done really well is take, take someone doing something unsavory in some way, and then they witness something or think they witness something um, yeah. that, you know, re, you know, that requires them to requires the person to reveal that they've done these, you know, these just like goofy things, you know, in this case, it's spying on other people, you know, it's, yeah. you know, you, you have that thing where, you know, these are, Essentially, three busybodies. You know, Jeff, chief among them, is you know laid up and you know is sitting in his apartment. Again, keeping in mind this is the fifties, and you know, there's no internet. There's hardly TV. You know, it's it's mostly radio. So he's, you know, he's got radio and books and his own imagination. And so you know, when you're sitting there and and the entertainment is what's going on across the street, that's what it is. And so he's drawing his own conclusions and telling his own stories to himself. And, you know, there's always that, you know, you, you think about that, you know, when you're in that situation yourself, you know, it's, it's are, you know, am I just imagining things? Am I just, you know, am I crazy? Could this be explained? And, it, you know, that's, that's one of the beauties of Hitchcock in, in, you know, a lot of these movies, that, that old thing is like, am, you know, am I still paranoid if everyone's really out to get me? You know, it's like, that, that's that question that, that, uh, that Hitchcock likes to dig into, and he certainly does it here as well as ever
0: absolutely yeah i think i think the key with this entire movie um because uh, it has that kind of classic uh almost technicolor look to it yeah and everything you know and and it's it's pretty awesome but even if this is black and white it's just like who fucking cares you know what i mean yeah like this is a movie and i bring that up just to say it's not about the flashiness uh the camera work is just so perfect yeah. that like what the like what the fuck else are you gonna watch that's better than this? Like it's just like because it tells that story so well. Um, you don't need the color, not that it's not cool, like I'm into I'm just saying it's irrelevant. Mm-hmm. The whole point of this is uh like there is a mystery unfolding mm-hmm. and uh it's being told masterfully by a man who spent his entire career being a master of suspense. You know, this actually is not that far from the movie Rope. And for those of you who haven't seen Rope, uh, Rope is uh, Jimmy Stewart as well. Um, It is only an hour and 20 minutes, 80 minutes or uh, yeah, 80 minutes total. And uh, it pretty much stars uh, three main protagonists. Uh, So we have uh, Jimmy Stewart's one, John Dahl's another. and I think it's fairly Granger is the other one, if I'm not mistaken. And in the opening of the movie. They murder a guy by strangling him, throwing him in a chest that is in their living room, and then uh, putting like furnishings and stuff over the chest. And one of the characters wants to, uh, I want to say it's John Dahl, throws a party, or they were already planning on throwing a party. And the whole movie is essentially them throwing this party with a dead body in the chest. And John Dahl's kind of almost sociopathic character mm. is just kind of like hey let's see what happens i bet nobody realizes this like won't that be exciting right yeah and that's the whole gimmick and jimmy stewart i believe plays a former professor or, or a pro- former associate of theirs and he comes in and, and he just starts to put things together because they're acting weird mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. you know like they're just giving these weird little hints and stuff and he's just like what do you guys do like he's not even trying to figure anything out but they just keep being weird so he does mm-hmm. and this was shot if i'm not mistaken again if i ever do if if i find out this is in my top one i uh, uh my top films I'll, I'll uh i'll do this one uh, like a long form one of this but yeah uh but it's great because this is also an, another experiment much like rear window is mm-hmm. where it's an experiment of perception And uh, a point of view, because it's all from the point of view of this apartment, the Mm -hmm. entire movie, there is no outside of this apartment being seen. Right. So, you know, everything is from that perspective. In Rope, uh, it all takes place in one apartment. And uh, were reels of film, um, if they could actually have, you know, 80 minutes of film on one reel, this would have been a one take movie Mm -hmm. but unfortunately uh, each reel was 9 to 11 minutes long so uh, Hitchcock wanted to make one that looked like a non-stop shot so he would do creative things to make cuts so that he would kind of push into someone's shoulder till it blacked out basically Mm -hmm. and then change the film and then come out of their shoulder in one fluid movement now you can tell now right yeah but but you get the gimmick you get the the uh, experiment. And I only bring this up uh, to say, like, you know, this is not anything new for Hitchcock. This uh-huh. is something that he was doing. He did it with Lifeboat. Not Again, not the same thing, but the limited, li- like, I mean, Lifeboat takes place on a lifeboat. How yeah. do you make a suspense thriller out of that? <laughs> he <laughs> yes. does. Um, mm-hmm. You know, like, it's, it's that sort of thing. And uh, this movie, in many ways, is small, but at the same time feels so fucking awesome. I don't want to say yes. big, per se, but it feels... Bigger than it should, maybe I should say. And it's because of the extent to which he can tell a story uh, in this way. It is just so, so great. Um, uh, uh, real quick, I, w- I want to do a shout out here to uh, cinematographer Robert Burks. I want to name him um, like by name. Uh, yep. Really, really great work. Uh, Franz Waxman did the music as well, which... It's not necessarily remarkable, but it is uh, actually really tastefully done. Like you said, there's not a ton of music in it, so when there is, uh, I think yeah. it's I think it's really well done. Yeah. Uh, before we uh, before I kind of wrap up my feelings about this, I want to give you a chance to talk a little bit about Rear Window, but also yeah. uh, how this kind of fits in for you and Hitchcock, because I know you've obviously watched Hitchcock movies, and sure. I'm just curious, kind of like how you feel about this. How does this fit into that? Hitchcock library for you. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I don't, I don't know that it's his best per se, but it's certainly one of the essentials. You know, it's it's right up there. Um, Yeah, and and it's it's and I feel like it's one of the ones that if you know if you're if you're just someone who likes movies, you know, you're not somebody who takes film or was a film major in college or even took a film class or even cares about all of that. It's a movie that begs you to try to break it down a little bit, to to look at it and just go, what am I watching? Like, why is this so effective? And it's, it's one that's pretty, it's, it's pretty accessible to, to normal people. You know, if you, if you just watch it uh, and just look, you can, if you watch it a couple of times, you can kind of break down some of those things and, you know, you can, oh yeah, well, yeah, he's lingering on the shot and there's no music in this shot. Or like you said, it's, it's mostly like background ambient noise or, you know, it's, it's this noise that, that he would hear from across the way. And this is, you know, the perspective is means something. And, uh, you know, the, the way that it the shot is composed means something. It's something you can, a lay person, an amateur, so to speak, can look at this and, and kind of get some of those things. So um, that that's one of the things that makes it so great to me. Even, you know, even when you're talking, like I said, to people who are just like, oh, well, haha, I just want a movie that entertains me. I just... You know, yeah. I I don't care that much about movies. I just want to watch something entertaining for a couple of hours. You know, even those people can can watch this and kind of see some of that. So that that's the, was the big value for me. And, and of course, uh, I think I first watched this when I was in the film class. It may have been in film class, um, watching it. And and again, it's how I learned a lot of that stuff. So that's that that's what makes it so great is that you can watch it, just watch it and enjoy it, or you can sit there and pick it to pieces. And it's going to and it holds up and it's even maybe even more fascinating uh, from that perspective. So, um, yeah, that that's that's my that's always my big take on this movie is, you know, is, is all of that. Plus, you know, you have, you know, J, you know, Jimmy Stewart and Grace Kelly were huge stars at the time. So, yeah, uh, you know,
0: Grace Kelly is is still kind of a, a weird screen crush for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. she's yeah. so cool in this movie. <laughs> and, and I, I want to say this. Jimmy Stewart's kind of an asshole in this movie. Jeff is kind of a dick. It, I just want that to be yeah. clear. Go go back and rewatch this, Joe, and anybody else. Yeah. And, and tell me that Jeff isn't kind of a dick. Oh, he absolutely she is. She yeah. is throwing her fucking self at this dude. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. She's literally at one point sitting on his lap. Just be like, kiss me, Jeff. And he's like, no. Yeah. What do you think that guy across the street did with his wife? You know, or whatever. And that's not <laughs> right. what Jimmy Stewart sounds like, but I'm going to uh-huh. make him sound that way because he's a prick because he's not yeah. kissing Grace Kelly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, it's, like, surprising how big of a dick he is in it. Yeah. Um, and, but that's, I and that's love, one
3: countercasting, too, you know, that because he was always Mr. Everyman, you know, in all yeah. of his
0: movies, you know. And, yeah, and it's awesome because, like... I don't know. It's not that he would maybe even be considered a dick at the time. I mean, I, I'm actually not even sure yeah. what that perspective would be. That's something I would love to actually research. Like mm-hmm. how was he received? Was he supposed to be a dick? Cause I could see people seeing him as like crazy. Like, are you crazy? She's perfect. Why wouldn't yeah. you date this person? The right. same. Cause I wonder if Thelma Ritter's character is our eyes of mm-hmm. the time. Cause you know, a lot of times in movies like this, there's a character in the movie that is like almost representing the yeah. audience. Mm-hmm. And Thelma Ritter calls him crazy. And she's just like, you know, Lisa's perfect. What are you yeah. doing, Jeff? And Jeff's just like, she's too perfect. Of course she's perfect. She doesn't do anything wrong ever. But the point is, like, can she hang? Can yeah. she keep up with my way of life? Right. And that's kind of his concern. That makes me wonder if people of the time were just kind of like, you know, right on, dude. Good way of thinking or something. <laughs> Whereas like, you know, uh, we, but no, we like tell you what to do. <laughs> yeah, like, like you know, we're we're all just like lovey bastards these days. We're just like, no, fall in love with her. She loves you. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the thing. Also, I I may have misspoke too. I was just thinking about this after I talked about the score, uh-huh. and I said that it was tastefully used, and yeah. then I was thinking about it. I'm like, actually, all the score I remember is the pianist in the apartment playing the piano. Yeah, uh-huh. I think all of it's diegetic music in this, minus the the uh-huh. opening and the yeah. credits. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. But again, diegetic music is music that takes place in the world. Mm-hmm. So that's I think all we get actually. Which is yeah. even crazier to me. Yeah. Because you just didn't usually do that mm-hmm. at the time. Like what other movie is gonna just do all diegetic music? Right. No, nobody Fucking in
3: their right mind.
0: <laughs> nuts. Okay. Fucking nuts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big uh, Hitchcock fan. This is my favorite Hitchcock movie. Mm-hmm. I, I am looking forward to rewatching a lot of his stuff. Um, and so we'll see if it stays there. I don't know what's going to kick it out. Vertigo, yeah. I've only ever seen once, and I saw it long before I would get it. Yeah. So that has never been a favorite of mine. Though, of course, among a lot of like the more hardcore, pure critics. Yeah. Uh, or BFI critics and stuff like that. Vertigo is just the greatest film of all time to them. Literally. Right. Um, So I'm very excited to rewatch that. Of course, you know, we also have, like I said, rope. I mean, just listen to this. I'm going to close with this here. I mean, we have vertigo. We have rope North by Northwest psycho, which I feel pretty confident in remembering that one mm-hmm. Um, uh, strangers on a train, which I absolutely adore. I need to rewatch That's... notorious cause I've only seen once, but I also, own the criterion that I have never watched since I've owned it so I need to do that mm-hmm. um and lifeboat is another one shadow of a doubt I was not a fan of when I saw um, mm-hmm. but it's one I'd like to revisit rebecca's great i mean these are all movies everyone needs to see uh, the wrong man which uh stars um uh uh uh, uh peter F- no um is peter fonda the the dad the oldest Maybe. no peter fonda's the uh fuck god you're not helping me
3: <laughs> i don't
1: remember or, this one <laughs>
3: Oh,
0: 1956
3: <laughs> is the Wrong Man, stars Henry Fonda. Henry, Henry Fonda.
0: Fonda. And I was like Peter Fonda is the easy rider dude. Like yeah. there's no way that's right. So The Wrong Man, yeah, sorry. That that is uh, that is uh, Henry Fonda, which is in a Hitchcock, so you don't get that often. It's a weird oh. noir which is like pretty cool. Like, uh, so there's a, there's a lot of cool stuff that he did and I'm excited to rewatch it. I'm excited to talk about it on the show here. Um, and I just don't know if anybody's going to beat rear window. What a great year for cinema. That was the year that seven samurai came out on the waterfront. I'm trying to remember what the Fellini film was, but that was a big one. It might've been Strada, which is like a huge deal. I'd have to look. I forget which one it is though. Uh, but 1954 had a crazy number of great movies. Yes. Um, and I look forward to watching those, but, uh, yeah that's it man that's it uh any any last thoughts joe no pressure this
3: is this is absolutely a classic yeah if if you haven't seen it go see it and if you um have seen it go watch it again
0: yeah and literally just like watch all of hitchcock's movies all right uh you know we've talked about our two of our favorites um let's go see what a couple of other people's favorites are
4: Hi, this is Matthew Soce, host of Film Sociology for WFYI Radio in Indianapolis. And one of my favorite films of 2022 so far is, yeah, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once for several reasons. One, it's a combination of, to, to use a film pitch, If Sliding Doors Meets Inception, This is an art film uh, that I think everybody can enjoy, even those people that make fun of art films, because we've all had choices in our lives that we sometimes think about and not necessarily regret, but think about the life choices we've made and the paths that we have taken. Plus, it's a great performance for Michelle Yeoh, who doesn't get enough love, and I think she finally will with this one. And when you got Jamie Lee Curtis coming off the bench, that's pretty strong, too and i'm glad that it, it was released early in the year but it's still in film film audiences minds uh, that's one of my film favorite films of 2022.
6: hey this is sam the movie man watermeyer happy hundredth episode austin asked me to talk about one of my favorite movies of all time for this and I'm going to go a different way with it. Uh, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite movies covered on the podcast. So let's go with uh, Calvary. Uh, Brendan Gleason stars as a Catholic priest, and it's about a week in his life, and it's just a really intimate, poignant slice of life. And I think his character, Father James, is. Just one of the warmest, most engaging characters in, in recent screen memory. And since it's spooky season, I'll also go with a classic horror movie, The Shining. Can't go wrong with that. Uh, I love talking to Austin about that, and I look forward to chatting uh, movies with him in the future. Happy 100th episode. I look forward to more.
0: All right, everyone, this is the end of episode 100. I cannot believe that I have kept this going so long. I really, really appreciate all of those who have listened, supported, uh, been a guest on the show. I mean, people like Andy Williams, Greg Bennett, who I want to have back. The guys from Bain who are super early uh, in this and really helped out. Rick Jimenez. Um, I mean the, I mean the list goes on. I mean we had um, oh uh, Galen Ross was another one that we had. almost uh, forgot to mention that. We had uh, just so so many people so so thankful uh, for everyone. Also uh, big thanks to Sam, JB, Chris Lloyd. Uh, of course um, Joe. Uh, Matt Sose, Jeff Rode, everybody who called in, all of those things. Um, Our our friend uh, Robert Muggy kept trying to call in and my stuff kept fucking up so uh, he didn't get to be on the show unfortunately but big thanks to his efforts and uh, you know big thanks to people like Midwest Film Journal who have let me write uh, articles as I have wished to and uh, you know the Film Yap who was kind of the first legit of like film specific outlet that i had to write for back in like 2014 maybe and 15 i can't remember exactly how long i did that but uh uh, they were really helpful and of course again chris lloyd i mean still in my life joe shearer who used to be with the film Yap, uh you know is still here so uh this has been really fun um remember there's a new format i'm really excited to kind of uh, mess around with that uh so please stick with us stick around for episode 101 And we will definitely be back. Love you guys so much. Thank you. Good night. Good luck. Take it easy.